Our study of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 has brought us now to verse 14. You'll recall in verses 1 through 6, we saw Paul the faithful steward. He had been entrusted with the gospel and faithfully he ministered the word. Then in verses 7 and 8, Paul the gentle nurse or the nursing mother caring for these new babes in Christ and, as it were, imparting to them his own life. Verses 9 through 13, we have Paul, the concerned father, as he sought to raise these children, cause them to uh, receive exhortation and comfort. As a father encourages his children, so Paul encouraged these spiritual children. Now in verses 14 through 20, We have the Apostle Paul as the loving brother. It's interesting the word he uses in verse 17, but we brethren being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart. That little word taken from you actually is the word orphaned, being orphaned from you. Paul felt like an orphan when he was away from the Thessalonian Christians. I wonder how many Christians today feel like orphans when they are away from God's people. Now, there are some Christians who are glad for an opportunity to be away from God's people. When vacation time comes, they decide they are not going to go to church on Wednesday night or Sunday night. They might show up to the Sunday morning service, but not Sunday school, not the evening service, not the midweek service. Paul wasn't that kind. Paul had such a love for these dear people in Thessalonica that he yearned to be with them, and he felt like a brother orphaned from his own family. Let's start with verse 14. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God, which in Judea are in Christ Jesus. For ye also have suffered like things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews. Now, the people at Thessalonica became followers. We ran up against this very same idea back in chapter 1, verse 6. And ye became followers of us and of the Lord. Now, this is a normal thing for children. Children are imitators. Children are followers. This is why it's important that we as parents lead them in the right direction. Uh, Many of the problems that we have with young people today are just problems of imitating their elders. They see dad and mother do things, and they do it too. If dad can cheat on his income tax, why can't they cheat on an examination? If mother can get a parking ticket fixed, why can't they steal something in the lunchroom? It all amounts to the same thing. Now, Christians are supposed to be followers of the right kind of people. And Paul says in 1.6, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Paul was following the Lord, and therefore, as they followed Paul, they followed the Lord. This is a tremendous responsibility. I may speak to some pastors now or some deacons or Sunday school teachers. Uh, The way we walk is the way the church is going to walk and how tremendously responsible we are before God to follow Jesus Christ. That when people follow us, they may be following him. But they were followers of the Lord and of Paul, but they were also followers of the other churches in going through persecution and suffering. Paul says the churches in Judea, this is back in the homeland now, had been persecuted, and now the church in Thessalonica was being persecuted. They were suffering like things of their own countrymen, even as the Christians over in Judea had suffered persecution from the Jews. 
Now, it's interesting to notice that wherever Paul went, except in one city, there was persecution. Uh, We're studying the book of Acts in our Bible school just now. And over in Acts chapter 14, the Apostle Paul is ministering the Word of God. And in verse 2, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. Acts 14.2. And uh, later on in the very same chapter, we find the Jews coming down. Verse 19, and there came thither certain Jews from Antioch who persuaded the people, and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city. Over in chapter 16, the apostle Paul faced persecution in Philippi. Now, wherever you go, you're going to find Paul and his group facing persecution, except in one place, that was in Athens. Paul went down to Athens in Acts chapter 17 all by himself. He preached in the synagogue, nothing much happened. He preached in the marketplace, nothing much happened. They drew him before the court, the high court of the city, to examine his doctrine, and nothing much happened. A few believed, but uh, there was no persecution. Now, wherever the gospel stirs up persecution, there is always blessing. I'll tell you why. Wherever there's no persecution, the devil knows nothing much is going to happen. In my own church, whenever things are going along quietly and painlessly, I watch out because trouble is right around the corner. I was recently in a Bible conference at a Christian school, and the Lord gave us a wonderful week. I had the joy of ministering to these students and to a number of pastors, and we had a wonderful time together. Right after the closing message, after I had preached, the president of the school got up and said to the students, Now, students, beware. Get ready, because the devil is going to start kicking us in the shins. And he did. I had to leave the school to fly home. But in the two days following, Friday and Saturday, they went through a tremendously difficult time. And one man almost died because of it. Now, Satan always stirs up a storm where the Holy Spirit is going to work. Now, this doesn't mean that we as Christians deliberately go out and try to cause trouble. No. It means this. Where we are faithful to live for the Lord, there is going to be difficulty. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. This is what Paul wrote to Timothy. He wrote to the Philippians and said, It is given unto you on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. God has given to us the privilege of suffering for Christ. Now, if suffering is the evidence of spiritual effectiveness, I wonder how effective we are. The average Christian doesn't know what it is to be persecuted. He keeps his mouth shut at work. He says very little to his family. He's very quiet in the neighborhood. Uh, He's very careful not to let anybody know he's a Christian, and consequently, things go well. Jesus said, beware when all men speak well of you. I know someone says, but pastor, you don't want us to be fanatics, do you? Well, we are fanatical about everything else. People are fanatical at the football stadium and the basketball court. People are fanatical on their fishing trips. After all, a fanatic is just someone who's enthusiastic. The great Hanley Mole, the bishop of uh, over in England, once made the statement that he would much rather try to tone down a fanatic than resurrect a corpse. I think he's right. I would much rather that the people of the church I pastor be a little bit fanatical in the eyes of the world, a little bit crazy in the eyes of the world, and get some souls saved, than to be so quiet and so respectable and so gentle that nothing ever happens. Wherever Paul went, there was persecution, except at Athens. 
And as far as we know, he left no church behind in Athens. Now, in verse 15, he continues to talk about these Jewish opponents of the gospel who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. Now, the word persecuted there literally means chased us out. If you'll turn back to Acts chapter 17, you'll find out what happened to Paul at Thessalonica. Acts chapter 17. Paul came to Thessalonica, preached the gospel. People were saved. A church was established of Jews from the synagogue. In verse 4, he split the synagogue. It said, Some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks a great multitude. In other words, he split the synagogue. And some of the Gentile believers who were proselytes and some of the Jewish believers came out of the synagogue and they started a church. Verse 5, the Jews were moved with envy and they caused a riot. They arrested Jason. Verse 7 says that Jason had received these disciples and so they arrested Jason. And in verse 9 it says, when they had taken security of Jason and of the others, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away to Berea by night. Now, it seems to be the case that Jason had to post bond for Paul and Silas. And Jason had to agree that Paul and Silas would not come back into Thessalonica and cause trouble. So they left Thessalonica and went down to Berea. So Paul was telling the truth here when he said, They chased us out, and they please not God and are contrary to all men. Down in verse 18 he said, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Now, how did Satan hinder them? Well, they had a, a bond posted. And the officials said, Paul, if you come back to Thessalonica, you are in trouble. He did send Timothy back to Thessalonica, and Timothy was able to help minister to the church. Now, why were these Jewish people contrary to the gospel? Verse 15 says they killed their, the Lord Jesus. They killed their own prophets. They've persecuted us. They please not God. They are contrary to all men. What was so contrary about these people? Well, Acts 17 told us they were moved with envy. You see, they wanted their religion without Christ. They were going about to establish their own righteousness, and they would not submit themselves to the righteousness of Christ. Consequently, they were envious when they saw the Gentiles being received by God. Paul had hoped that because the Gentiles were saved, it would provoke some of the Jews to be saved. But these religious people would not submit themselves to the righteousness of God. You know, the worst persecutors in the world are religious people. Now, true Christians don't persecute anybody. I want you to remember that. A true Christian does not persecute anybody. He may preach the gospel, but a true Christian is never guilty of persecution. I thank God. I happen to be a Baptist pastor. I'm a pastor by calling and a Baptist by conviction. I was not raised a Baptist, but I thank God that as a Baptist, I can look at Baptist history and not find any persecution. We Baptists are the ones who have been persecuted. But I thank God that history shows that Baptists have not been guilty of persecution. This is not true of some other groups, unfortunately. Of course, groups today are not responsible for what people did years ago, and we shouldn't hold them accountable. But Paul makes it very clear that these religious Jews were guilty of persecution, and they would not submit themselves to Christ. Verse 16, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they might be saved. I can't imagine a greater sin than to stand in the way of somebody else being saved. But the scribes and Pharisees were this way in Jesus' day. Jesus told the scribes that they had taken away the key of knowledge and that they were not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven 
and they stood in the way of other people entering in to fill up their sins always. Now, verse 16 says that they were filling up their sins, meaning what? The more they sinned, the more the wrath of God was going to come upon them. Paul, or Jesus said in Matthew 23, 32, fill up then the measure of your wrath. God looked upon their lives as empty buckets, and the more they sinned, the more that bucket was filled up with judgment. They were laying up for themselves judgment in store for that day of wrath. Here's a tremendous, tremendous truth. The unsaved person, as he persecutes the believer, is only asking for judgment upon himself. Now, God today ordinarily does not judge people. This is the day of his grace. He has judged all sin at the cross of Jesus Christ. And God today does not strike people dead when they disobey him. God is long-suffering to usward. But you know, people are not getting away with sin. I may talk to some unsafe person right now, and you're persecuting somebody. Maybe your wife is a Christian, and you're not. Maybe your children are saved, and you're not, and you persecute them. I want to warn you, you are only filling up the measure of your own wrath against the day of judgment when God is going to bring wrath upon them to the uttermost. Now, I think Paul is speaking here primarily about the Jewish nation and the fall of Jerusalem that was about to come, but it also applies to unsaved people today. I feel constrained right now to say to some unsaved person, turn away from your persecution. Turn away from resisting the Lord and give your heart to Jesus Christ, lest you fill up the measure of your wrath and God's judgment come upon you. Well, the program is What's the Good Word? And my name is Warren Wearsby, and I'm the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church in Covington, Kentucky. I've enjoyed chatting with you today from the Word of God, and the Lord willing, we'll continue next time in verse 16. Thank you so much for listening.